Welcome to Rewilding Work. I'm Paul Miller. One of the joys of hosting Rewilding Work and creating a community around our book, Nature of Work, the new story of work for a living age, is talking with leaders and change makers who want to look at the future of work beyond the hybrid office, no office sound bites. Yes, where we all work each day does matter and companies need to right size themselves to suit the evolving needs of people and teams. It's pointless having large city centre offices if they're never or seldom well used. But there is a larger conversation happening now that gets into the why of work and how work itself can be reimagined and re-experienced. Nicola Millard is our guest today and Nicola is a distinctive voice in the changing world of work in a role as principal innovation partner, UK telecoms giant BT. Her stories about the pain we all know in hybrid meetings are also familiar. She was part of a three-day online event we had called Nature Work Live and the interviews are just as relevant today as they were when they were first released. So do subscribe and like right here so you get alerted to each new episode. Now let's hear from Nicola. Nicola, there's an awful lot of conversation about hybrid working, almost too much. Um, And people don't really think about what it actually means. What is hybrid working? And and, and what isn't hybrid working? Ah, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing at the moment lots of announcements from various organisations and about 70% of them seem to include the word hybrid, although smart, flexible. Oh, yeah, there's so many, so many words being bandied about. So um, I'm an academic. So the first thing I always have to do is to try and define what is hybrid. And and I use nature as an analogy, as as you are very used to doing. So um, my favourite hybrid in the world, and there are many to pick from in, in the natural world, it is the Zadonk. Um, now, the Zadonk is half donkey and half zebra. Um, and I can tell you that it does not spend its entire days thinking in the morning, am I a zebra or am I a donkey today? Because it's actually a different breed. Um, and I use that analogy for hybrid working as well, because a lot of the conversations certainly I'm having with my customers at the moment seems to be, well, how many days should we be in the office? Should it be three days in the office and two days at home? That's not hybrid working. In fact, that's kind of what flexible working is. And certainly when you get into contractual, you've got to be in the office for three days a week, that's inflexible, flexible working as well. So, so hybrid to me is not that. And, and I think hybrid, frankly, if you're looking for a definition of pure hybrid, would be divorced from both time and space. So in other words, place becomes slightly less relevant. The number of hours you work uh, becomes slightly less relevant. So what are you left with? Well, the work is what you're left with. And to be honest, that is the important bit. So I think really that the great thing about hybrid is there is an opportunity to really think about the ways that we work and then look at how do we support that work with potentially place. I think one of the other interesting conversations is that obviously we talk about offices an awful lot and home an awful lot. Neither of those are the future of work. I suspect it's not going to be permanent office working. It's not going to be permanent home working. 
So where's the common platform? And actually, the common platform is digital, because uh, wherever you are, frankly, that should be the platform that you work from. That's the place where, you know, it should be accessible to everyone and it should be appropriate to the task. And then you build things up, whether that's an office. So how do we um, build a, a hybrid office that is basically digital first? But equally, you know, if you're on the move, if you're at home, how do we make sure that those tools are, are, are all about the employee experience when we're doing this? So. Yeah, my definition of a hybrid is not about let's glue sort of disparate components of you know physical and digital together. Let's try and take the best bits and let's also not take the toxic bits as well. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting way of putting it and something that I thought about a few years ago. And I, I, I think it was in a book I wrote called The Digital Workplace, How Technology is Liberating Work. And that was the idea that the work had essentially left the office already. This is sort of 2010 and actually had moved into, as you say, these digital places that, as we discovered in the last uh, two years, could go with us anywhere. One of the terms you've described, which I really liked, is the idea of horrible hybrids. So is, is a horrible hybrid as a donk in a kind of identity crisis or... What's a horrible hybrid? Yeah, maybe a donk bra. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's basically when the, the toxic parts of each of those universes collide. Um, and, and there are many horrible hybrids or hybrid headaches, depending on, on my mood uh, I describe them as. But um, I mean, I think first first thing to say is hybrid is not an easy model. Um, it's, it's not an easy way of working. Um, and I think we've all encountered some horrible hybrids, uh, certainly before the pandemic they existed. And I think they're starting as, as some of us are allowed out a little bit more. Uh, we're starting to, to get horrible hybrids rearing their ugly heads already. And, and ne- never more so than meetings, I think is the, the obvious one. So the hybrid meeting. Uh, I had... I wish I'd recorded this, but I had the worst meeting ever last week and it was a hybrid meeting and it was quite an interesting one because it was how not to do a meeting in, you know, 10 points, really. Um, so th- the first thing was actually there were only six people in the physical space. So six people had, had come into the room to have the meeting. There were 21 actually coming in digitally. Um, so, you know, more people are digital than physical, but the person running the meeting was in the physical space. They were also uh, presenting off a board that None of us in the digital space could actually see. Um, they were also presenting by that board. So occasionally we could see their nose and their chin appear, um, but largely we couldn't see anything else. And then because the camera was pointing into the room towards the window, all we were, could see were little sort of shadowy stick figures. And of course, then because they were shrunk into their little celebrity square, we couldn't see anything really. So initially we were kind of, well, we're not following the conversation so we we actually piped up and said could you speak louder could you maybe you know um look at the camera a little bit more so yeah they did that for about five minutes and then out of sight is out of mind isn't it so they forgot again so what then happened was I'm in a psychologist so I was analyzing all of this so what then happened was all the people in the digital space started to have a conversation on chat Now, this was interesting because, of course, the people in the room were not on chat. Um, so they did, they couldn't see any of this conversation. And that conversation got quite interesting. Um, the trouble was it was a very different conversation to the run going on in the room, which was completely divorced from the stuff that was going in digital space. But, of course, then we, we lost momentum. Um, and, um, 
you could see people starting to withdraw from the meeting. And of course, you know, your email is easy to do. So I think everyone agreed at the end it was a terrible meeting. But that's a very classic horrible hybrid. The trouble is, it's that's. I mean, there are things you can do to solve that. Actually, one customer um, summed it up really nicely the other week. Um, they said that their motto was all room or all Zoom. Now, there are other platforms available, of course, but Zoom rhymes with a lot of things. So um, so I think that that sentiment is absolutely uh, clear. You know, if you are going to have a hybrid meeting and you've got people split in physical and digital space, the people in physical space probably are going to be, at least in the short term, sitting in front of a laptop with a camera on. And that's going to be weird. Um, and obviously there are technical things like single sound source, because otherwise everyone's just going to interfere with each other. Um, good lighting is absolutely critical. And I keep saying maybe offices are going to resemble film studios as we go into the future where people are uh, probably doing much more hybrid networking than they have been before. So I think we've got to bring in those considerations at least to meetings. And obviously meetings will evolve. We've got some quite exciting discussions around augmented reality meetings and holograms as well. We're doing something called volumetric video at the moment. Not quite avatars. I know ABBA have gone virtual, but um, we don't have to wear the sort of leotards and dots, although that could be an interesting fashion choice for the office. But uh, but what we're using is multiple cameras to start to create holograms. Mm. But that's really clunky. That's not going to be a short to medium term mm. solution. But that's just meetings. And I think the biggest issue that we have to tackle for our horrible hybrids as we go into the future is that out of sight, out of mind, proximity bias that can leak into all sorts of things, which includes leadership. There certainly was quite a bit of research prior to the pandemic that showed that people that felt, you know, if they weren't, if they weren't in the office, they weren't going to get promoted. They weren't going to get a good appraisal. So, again, proximity bias, unconscious biases uh, from leaders, especially, just they need to think about the fact that not everyone is necessarily going to be in the room at the same time, and they need to be able to cater for that. So obviously, run meetings well, that in itself is a talent, but also make sure that work is very visible wherever you happen to be, whether you are in the room, whether you are outside the four walls of an office, how do we make work more visible? And then meeting culture is a big one as well, because what we've tended to do is lift and shift this analog notion of a meeting into the digital space. And as we know, digital meetings are very frictionless. So what we've tended to do is, you know, schedule them in 30 to 60 minute chunks back to back. And actually, I guess the good thing about physical space is it introduces friction. So you might have to move rooms. You might have time to get a cup of coffee or bump into somebody whereas you don't at home uh, again a, a customer i was talking to a couple of weeks back was saying that on average their their uh, their employees were spending seven seconds clicking between meetings so seven seconds between meetings microsoft did some amazing research on the effect of those death by video meeting days or i i call it waking up with an impending sense of zoom um those kind of days um that we've all had um basically the brain starts to die when we do have those those end-to-end -end meetings and that isn't a problem with video although there are some some usability issues around video and psychological issues around video but it's more a problem with those meetings and i think again with meeting culture especially we might need to think 
should we be having a meeting? Could we do this more asynchronously? Um, and that also implies a sort of more written culture as well. So using uh, other collaboration tools other than real-time meeting tools to, to make decisions, to discuss things before we maybe, when it does matter, when we are making real-time decisions or forming relationships, that is the time where we really need a meeting. And maybe not... Mm do the meetings nine till six eight till seven you know wherever you happen to be as well maybe reserve sort of parts of the day where you could you do meetings and then other parts of the day when you can actually sit back relax do some thinking do some writing yeah and, and i mean one of the things that i'm thinking of, of as we um are here in the nature of work um experience if you like is is trying to set this shift in the nature of work within its ecological, environmental kind of uh, context. <clears throat> How do you see meetings evolving given the relationship that organisations have got to, to have and transform with nature? Yeah, I mean, you can't separate work out from the, 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 the bigger environment either. So uh, we, we know from what has been effectively a massive global experiment that we can relate to each other and do an awful lot and be very productive when we're not necessarily having to travel commutes. So I keep saying we've got, this is such an exciting time because we have this ability to rethink the ways that we work. And we need to rethink those, way, those ways of working to be good for productivity because that's the number one reason for business leaders to want to reinvent work. We need to make it good for people. And that links into things like well-being, which again, we've learned a lot about during the pandemic, but was being discussed prior to the pandemic. And then absolutely critically with the climate crisis that we have, it needs to be good for the planet as well. And I think... There's lots of conversations about this. I mean, we've just done some work um, with London School of Economics around um, whether homeworking is as green as we may think, because, you know, we're all individually now consuming energy within our homes rather than having it all concentrated and centralised. And is that energy green sourced? And obviously with the cost of it as well, um, is that going to discourage people from working from home? Does it discourage them from commuting? And people have sometimes moved further away from their central offices so they might be doing less commutes but longer commutes so again the arguments are really interesting when we start to, to to look at the effect of this on the planet i think the most interesting discussions are around this sort of um, notion of the 15 minute city um or la vie de cordeur as the french love to call it um but you know particularly with commutes um if we're going to commute two hours into a building or even fly halfway around the world for a meeting it's got to be worth it frankly so i once flew to hong kong for 20 minute meeting there's no way i would do that now it's bad for the planet it was bad for me as well and i'm not sure it achieved every everything i needed to but if we do need to get out of the house and frankly homeworking does not work for everybody can we start to look at much at a much more sustainable way of commuting whether that's walking or by bike um, and that then introduces uh, again something that had been really kind of on the up prior to the pandemic which was things like the co-working space 
it's quite interesting that Ireland at the moment have this incredible rural remote work manifesto, uh, which has one of the most Irish things ever in it, which is can they start to use uh, the network of rural pubs as co-working spaces? Because frankly, for most of the day, they're they're not really being used. And I call that the poffice. I, I, I prefer the coffice, frankly, but um, I'm not sure I'd be that productive in a pub. But um, but it's really around that, that, that space which isn't home, that isn't a two-hour commute but is somewhere quite handy that maybe I can go and see other people and work and have the right facilities to work to make me more productive hopefully also reduce my need for commuting but also also not burn carbon frankly great thank you so much Nicola that was both informative and highly amusing as well I I, I love the idea of the office yes Absolutely. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, Paul. How far have you got with the idea of the poffice? Um, it's certainly lodged in my mind as an idea I can barely dislodge, but very attractive at the same time. But, you know, it also makes sense because there are so many pubs empty. Imagine if they opened up in the morning and loads of people went in and had their coffees and did their work. I think there's a lot to that idea, even though we we do laugh about it. I really do. Um, (laughs) You were the one interviewing Nicola. But you didn't really get a word in edgeways, did you? <laughs> well, she's very, very interesting, very engaging. Amazing. And, and, and also highly amusing. Uh, another uh, a very entertaining uh, guest. Um, I mean, what I would say about the idea of the uh, POFIS um, is actually what we are seeing is this localization of work happening generally. So... If you think about it, I mean, Financial Times said we've been living through the largest global experiment in remote working ever. It's actually probably the largest shift in where people are working since the late 1700s. And people are now living and working in different places. Probably a third of people on any given day are living somewhere other than where they uh, working somewhere other than where they did and often moving as well. So you've got this relocalization of economy happening. And I think that was one of the things that Nicola brought out. Um, I, I mean, I loved her idea that, you know, that she'd been in this meeting, which was one of her horrible hybrid meetings, you know, where there's, I mean, you know what it's like, Nancy, where there's two kind of parallel universes going on. There's the people in the room having quite a nice time, really. And then there's the people remotely having quite a nice time, but the two having nothing to do with each other. She described it so well. Hmm. I know. I thought that was really interesting. Nancy, I mean, there was so much in that uh, presentation and that conversation. What was your takeaway? I have to say, I was really surprised to hear that, these challenges around meeting cultures continues to be as pervasive as it is. I remember when I first started in the working world, we were talking about death by PowerPoint, too many meetings, too many emails. And uh, we don't talk so much about PowerPoint as much anymore. And um, as organizations rolled on to more collaborative tools in the last year, you don't hear so much about um, all of the, the emails, but 
this idea that meetings are still such a big challenge in organizations feels like an issue we still need to break the back of. And it goes back to why are we meeting? What is the purpose? And making sure that a meeting, if it needs to happen, is well-planned and that um, whoever is leading the meeting is hyper aware of the dynamic that needs to be in place. I have been to meetings where to this day, there's a group of people physically sitting in an office and they forget to include the people who are remote in some fashion, whether they are at a client site or they are working from home or in the office. The idea of you know, micro inequities that continue to exist in those working dynamics is a challenge. And so the opportunity really lies in helping people rediscover the art of facilitation. And that starts with planning through facilitation on the day, and then making sure that the actions and decisions that need to follow actually happen. So you don't end up back in the meeting cycle again. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, um, you know, and, and as I said, her, her presentation was so rich, but there were so many things to get your head around. Hybrids, um, flexible, you know, the POFIS even. Are we, are we running into a kind of almost like a headland, headless chicken era where some of us are going to be in, some of us are going to be out, some of us are going to be remotely joined. So, you know, some of us are going to be in the office and others are going to be up in the attic, you know, like <laughs> where actually none of us really know what on earth we're doing anymore. And there's not enough structure. Are we just going to end up too organic? Well, I think one of the reasons why we've had this proliferation of meetings is that I think when when the world sort of stopped early last year, one of the kind of areas of familiarity was a meeting. So, yeah, we we might not be where we were yesterday, but at least we're all connected. So I think there was a kind of yearning for a stability. But I think being human beings and being organisations, those things have become kind of embedded. And I think the other thing that has happened is that organisations love to kind of latch on to certainties, um, because machines like certainties. And if you're not, if you're thinking more as a machine than a living system, that's a kind of a way of approaching it. So everything's become hybrid, like hybrid's a known thing. And we, your version of a hybrid, but as you say, you know, you could do a sitcom about where people might be within a particular team on any given day. And I love the idea that somebody be in the attic. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's yeah. starting to get to a point of like, well, you, anywhere will do, really. Yeah. But I think, again, you know, as Nancy's saying, it's it's really an opportunity to start rethinking how we collaborate because that's really uh, the meetings only there in pursuit of some other objective what are we trying to build what are we trying to grow as a team as an organization uh, as a as a region and then actually and this is where this idea that we've got in the book around habitat comes into its kind of fore i think like animals find their natural habitat so my natural habitat on any given day might be uh, it, it might be in what we call the office. It might be in somewhere close to home, working close to home or whatever. And and so long as that team can work out a dynamic that works for them, then they'll find their natural habitat. And I, I think that's the opportunity that, that we've got. Well, and the other thing is, as long as the team 
aren't uh, teenagers. Because <laughs> <laughs> their natural habitat will be in bed. Yes. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about that presentation was the idea of them, the unconscious biases, which does follow on from, well, what if one of us is in the office or the attic and that we're mm. not, we're not involved in the discussion. We're not present enough. We're mm. not, our work isn't visible enough. We're not being seen. Mm. It reminded me of that. I don't know if you remember in Friends, Jennifer Aniston, her character, Rachel, befriends the lady who smokes and she takes up smoking because it's her boss. So yeah. she wants to hang out with her more and have those smoking breaks to get the, to get the good jobs and the good gigs. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you do wonder, well, if I'm not there, if I'm not in the office, surely I would be seen and mm. thought of in that same way. I, I, I know. And I, I do wonder whether there's a need for uh, what you might call hybrid leadership. So, so if the workforce is becoming hybrid, that the leadership needs to as well. And that means that they need to be working in, in this more fluid, adaptable, um, less physically present way. Um, I mean, I wrote a book called The Digital Workplace, How Technology is Liberating Work a few years ago. And one of the chapters that people liked was called, Has Anybody Seen Steve? And it was Steve had left the office. He was still doing fantastic work. It's just nobody had seen him for 18 months. But I, I, so I think there's um, uh, a need to work out, and we've certainly seen that with, within some of our clients, haven't we, Nancy? Where, you know, how do you promote people when when your when your normal patterns and your normal flows are, are disrupted? And it comes back to being results driven, and it's not just about the what, but also the how. Is when we come back to this notion of diversity, inclusion, and belonging from previous segments, both the what and the how are really important in ensuring that we are fostering a workplace that allows people to deliver their personal best and to contribute to the team and the organization as a whole. How does this uh, relate to which theme do you think this best relates to? We we talked a bit about regeneration earlier, but of the 12, which do you think uh, this most relates to this? I, I think it is. Uh, maybe this is because it's my favourite element, but, but also because it's relevant, is, is regeneration. I, I think we're in a period of regeneration. Mm-hmm. One way of working is essentially collapsing, and out of it needs to come a new way of working that is more empathetic, is more agile, is more responsible, is more human-centred, is more nature-aware. And, and, and so I think, for me, the, the regeneration opportunity, I mean, we've got one example in the book of Kodak, which was a brand that I grew up with knowing really well. Then they kind of didn't really get digital. But during the pandemic, they started manufacturing ingredients for pharmaceuticals as a, as a way of responding to the, to the crisis. Uh, and their share price went up 1,500%. So they, they sort of discovered almost by chance, a new kind of phase of growth for, for, the, for the company. And I, I think those stories are really uh, illuminating. That's really interesting, though, that because that's so far away from their roots. Yeah. Well, we've also got in the book Nokia, another one of my favourite companies, founded on the Nokia River in Finland. So they start off as a rubber mill, paper mill company, and they go through all these different iterations and eventually end up as a mobile phone company. 
Then they end up bought by Microsoft. So I think someone sold off from Microsoft and still going on. Keep going through all of these iterations and life cycles. Uh, and maybe we're seeing that on a, on a sort of industry level now. You know, we're seeing all these issues with, with transportation, with truck drivers and, you know, discovering how this industry that we rely on is, is so kind of broken. Yeah. And, of course, we didn't know the half of it. I, is that an issue that you're aware of, Nancy? I'm not sure that it's happening here in the UK. Um, our trucking industry is, is broken. <laughs> Yeah, I certainly think it's something that is not unique to the UK. I did want to go back to uh, a comment that you were making, Paul, earlier about the idea of regeneration. And, and I think that even when you look at the element of intelligence, that in and of itself is going through its own level of regeneration. And by that, I mean, we're not just looking to people to bring their knowledge, skills and abilities to work, but also an increasingly mature level of emotional intelligence, things like the empathy factor that we've been talking about as a way of helping humanize the connections that people need to make day to day across virtual channels as well. Interesting. Going to have to leave it there, but we uh, will talk a bit more later. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Paul. What else is there to say about hybrid working? Well, when it's seen through the eyes of Nicola Millard, there's always new insights to bring. What she does is firstly define her terms. And most of what we call hybrid working is actually just flexible working. So here are the three seeds worth sowing in your organization from Nicola. One, keep in-person and online meetings separate until a time when the technology and culture can actually achieve a seamless and effective experience. Number two, the universal and most adaptable way of connecting is digital. So use that space as the basis for the core workplace. Number three, digital working lacks reset time so we can easily find ourselves settling into no more than seven seconds between meetings. So block off afternoons or mornings as no meeting time and gain control over your working day. Next time, we're going to be joined by Gianpaolo Barozzi, Senior HR Director at Cisco. So please subscribe and like right here so you hear about each new episode. See you next time.